Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Minnesota. Kristen Lyerly in OBGYN is on the Fox River. And up on Lake Monaco is Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't you let me die? Hello and welcome to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankstead. I'm Kristen Lyerly. I'm Pat Kreitlow. And on the show this week, fake electors and real mules. We'll be joined again by attorneys Joe Good and Mark Leitner, partners in Laffey, Leitner and Good. We're bringing up the fake electors again this week because the January 6th committee has been discovering more ways that this was no accidental, you know, just in case kind of thing. The fake elector scheme was talked about before the election and was being put into motion not long after the election. And as far as the mule goes, we learned from Tuesday's committee presentation <laughs> that our own Senator Ron Johnson was perhaps minutes away from being a mule for transporting fraudulent ballots as part of Trump's plot to overthrow the actual election results, which is rich considering how Republicans talk about ballot mules. What's that movie? 2000 mules, uh, which is so full of, well, mule, mule ass, <laughs> mule, mule pucky, Not BS, mule, but mule pucky. ass. You know, what's the difference between a mule and a jackass? I'm just uh, wondering. Well, one's the symbol of a party, and the other is, you know, just a piece of work. Um, <laughs> look, folks, when you take someone else's ballot, secure, verified in a sealed envelope with a valid witness signature, and you drop it off for them as a way to be helpful to a grandparent, an elderly neighbor, somebody can find a home. You're being a good person, not a mule. When you potentially conspire to transmit a fraudulent slate of electors ballots, unofficial, unsolicited, unverified, to aid in a plot to disrupt an election, that's the definition of a mule. And there should be serious consequences, even if the final handoff was made. But my favorite part, you guys, was how Johnson said, you know, basically, it wasn't me. He's either blaming his chief of staff or so, somebody else about, a, you know, taking a package to the vice president. Hello, anthrax. Nobody just calls up the vice president and says, hey, mm -hmm. can I bring you this thing? I don't really know what it is. So anyway, later in the show, attorney Mel Barnes from Law Forward will give an update on their lawsuit to hold the fake electors accountable. Uh, no word yet on whether there will be accountability for a potential mule, Kirk. Yeah, so... Uh you know, we can't make we should everyone's making light of it because all the recent videos of Ron Johnson kind of like trying to like get out of this, which is obvious that he was a part of it. It is funny, but it also is super, super dangerous that he almost like got away with passing these fraudulent electors. But I do have to say I learned something two days ago. It's crazy. So we're going to talk about. Uh, John Eastman's memo and Kenneth Chesborough's memos to kind of set up set up all these fraudulent electors. We talked about it last week. I, I knew, we talked about it last week, that Kenneth Chesborough is a native of Wisconsin. What I didn't know was that my cross-country coach from SPASH, Stevensburg Area Senior High, Bash. was listening to this podcast, and he told me through my friend, who's now the current cross-country coach, that Kenneth Chesborough went to SPASH, and he ran cross-country with me like but 10 years earlier. So the, the architect of the, of the January 6th insurrection went to my high school. So it's, it's really a question of, you know, you, you, whether you were the better runner or not, 
Uh, you probably do a better job running a brewery than he does running the details of a, of a fake election scam. Um, and, and it's practice, though. It's practice. He, he's, yep. he, he needs, he's going to get more practice potentially next year, and he'll get better at it. Yeah, but quite possibly. And uh, Kristen, we're, we're, we've only got a few seconds here, but we, we can't forget that we're still watching the U.S. Supreme Court as well. Yeah, we're very concerned. We think their decision is probably coming on Monday, and that is a total game changer for Wisconsinites. And, and I mean, you, you've been on Twitter and elsewhere talking about, you know, what this means to you, the people that you care for. Uh, did you, did I see right? Did you take part in a White House roundtable a couple days ago on, on Roe yeah, v. Wade? Yeah, White House roundtable yesterday. I'm getting interviewed by CBS News for their evening edition tomorrow. It's been just Wisconsin State Journal today. It has been, there's been so much interest in what's happening in Wisconsin and that is necessary. Uh, I have a feeling that, yeah, next week we're, we're going to spend a lot more time with you to talk about that. Uh, so mm -hmm. we'll get back to the fake elector scheme with attorneys, Joe Good and Mark Leitner in just a bit. You're up North. Welcome back to the Up North Podcast. This is your chance to either get caught up on the January 6th committee investigation or refresh your memory about what you heard when it comes to all the monkey business the Trump campaign was pulling in Wisconsin and other states like Arizona and Georgia. That's right. The uh, The Tuesday hearing was all about state-level pressure. And so joining us again to help fill in the blanks, we have attorneys Joe Good and Mark Leitner. Welcome, guys. Hey, evening. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, you guys, uh, just re to to uh, to have the have everybody listening. Remember, you guys were are the lawyers that uh, that sued Ron Johnson, Tom Tiffany, and Scott Fitzgerald to get them off the ballot. Uh, the case was dismissed on procedural grounds, but everything that you wrote about in the case is now happening. Uh, it's now being talked about at the hearings. I, I potentially, I'm thinking they read your read your suit and they used it to ask some of these questions because it's so spot on. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, what what happened last, what happened yesterday. And then I'm going to mention that. And then you guys are going to talk about what was going on corresponding to what was happening in Arizona, what was happening in Georgia. So just to just to kind of set us, you know, set us up, give, give us context. Uh, yesterday's hearing, for those that weren't paying attention, talked about all of the ways that Trump tried to pressure the various swing states to uh, either create fraudulent electors or find more votes. So we got a guy named Rusty Bowers, who is a speaker of the Arizona uh, House of Representatives. And he said he was pressured by Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs and, of course, our friend Rudy Giuliani, who we we drank to every time we mentioned him uh, <laughs> but, uh, last uh, last week. We won't have that again as a drinking game, but uh, he was pressured to decertify Biden's electors in Arizona. And Brad Raffensperger, everyone's heard this guy's name. He was the jo Georgia's secretary of state. Uh, he said he was we all heard that phone call where where Trump asked him to find something like 11,000 more votes out of thin air when everyone and when they had already like ran audits of those votes three different times in three different ways. And these eyes were all Republicans. And they said, we can't find 11,000 more votes. And then finally, 
this the best quote from what I heard yesterday was this guy named Gabriel Sterling, who was a top election official running the elections in Georgia, who just lost his he lost his temper when one of the pre- people running the election was threatened uh, by one of these crazy Trump cultists. He lost his temper and and went out and he uh, he gave a speech and he asked Trump to stop misinforming people. But what he said uh, was like he said it was like trying to use a shovel to dig water out of the ocean, uh, <laughs> trying to compete against Trump's disinformation campaign. And he, and he also said he even talked about his own relatives who had heard these lies over and over and over again. And and he said, you know, it, these lies went past people's brains and got in their hearts. And he said, once you get past the heart, the facts don't matter much. And that's what they had to deal with in Georgia. That's what we had to deal, we're still dealing with in Wisconsin. So, um, you know, at, at that, uh, with that, I wanted to you know, pass it to Pat, or pass it to you guys. And can you kind of run us through what was going on in Wisconsin? You know, Trump was pressuring in Georgia. You know, Giuliani was pressuring in Arizona. What was going on I, in I'll tell you Wisconsin? what, as they, as they do that, I want them to be able to respond to those three examples. Uh, Rusty Bowers from Arizona, Brad Raffensberger from Georgia, Gabriel Sterling from Florida. And the reason I say that is not only because Rusty Bowers really made an impression on me saying he's a Republican, but he never wants to win by cheating. But not, not only that, guys, but the fact that for those of you who get the video feed of this, Kristen has turned herself into a gif, uh, literally like eating popcorn as she's listening to the plot details <laughs> come out on this. So, guys, why don't you give us a quick reaction to what you heard Tuesday from these other state level folks, and then we'll quickly dovetail you into Wisconsin. Sure. So, um, look, we are uh, this Republican Party, whatever it, whatever this is, I guess it's still the Republican Party is a uh, a long way from the shining city on the hill that Reagan spoke about uh, on the eve of his election, historic election in 1980. Um, It's a long way from a patriot like Howard Baker, who was one of the people who persuaded Richard Nixon that it was imperative he resigned. Yes, Uh, along with Barry Goldwater, not exactly a flaming progressive by any stretch, you did the same thing. Um, Look, guys, my reaction to it is it makes me so angry. And I don't understand why more people are not angry about what's happened here. Okay. We should have in our country, legitimate public discourse about things that matter. You can have a dispute about the size of government, the size of the tax bill, whether the federal government should be doing X or Y, or whether it should be left to the states or not left to government at all. We are a long way from there. We are moving in in record speed toward an autocracy. And we are using violence and words designed to inflame and to intimidate people who are in positions of authority to do the right thing. And thank God, Pat, for the people you, you're talking about, Kirk, because these people, you want to talk about patriots? They're the ones who stood up. And I know everyone in the progressive left is like, well, you can't really say that Mike Pence is a hero for doing his job. That's true. That's 100% true. He did what he was supposed to do. But let's be clear, with the amount of pressure that is being put on all of these people for people to stand up in the face of adversity and do the right thing, man, I, 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 it's, it's humbling to me and it's a really impressive thing to see. Yeah, and, and it's especially impressive from, uh, from the gentleman in Arizona who said that if the election were held again tomorrow, he'd vote for Trump. 
I mean, he's not some he's not some liberal dupe. I mean, he's probably a right wing dupe, but he still <laughs> believed that the rules matter, and that you gotta live under the rules, and that when the other side beats you, you regroup. You get together and you figure out a way to persuade a majority of the people to support you again. Right. Uh, and once mm -hmm. that idea is gone, then everything's up for grabs. Right. And that mm -hmm. idea is this far from slipping away in our country right now, because there are a whole lot of people who believe uh, that uh, election results count when our side wins and election results don't count when uh, when uh, we lose, and they are now moving into positions of power on local boards, on, uh, in secretary of state offices, and, and in a whole bunch of uh, offices uh, where they will not hesitate to, to exercise that power. And it's absolutely frightening. Yeah, so while this was happening on a national level, can you guys run down what was going on in Wisconsin? I mean, I know up in northeastern Wisconsin, we had Kelly Rue, who was one of the fake electors, and she was running for local office, and she did not win, presumably because we were able to get the word out. But, like, what else is happening in sure. Wisconsin? Sure. So, I mean, you know, you, you have Biden wins, right? It takes till November 7th for uh, the media to, to call the election. And let's be clear, the media doesn't get to decide who won a presidential election, but these are pretty sophisticated outfits. And by the time they call the election, I think that guy from Fox who, who testified at one of the uh, hearings uh, two weeks ago uh, basically said, yeah, we knew for a fact that, that Trump had lost Arizona the night of the election. And of course, it really pissed off the president at the time, but is what it is. But November 7th is that declaration. Two days later, Robin Voss, the assembly speaker in Wisconsin, who, by the way, as we remember from last week, is whose roommate, Mark? Uh, Reince Priebus. Reince Priebus. Who was a, uh, a partner at Michael Beston Friedrich, along with uh, James Troupas and John mm -hmm. McIver, a big Republican big shot. And, and uh, Troupas is, of course, President Trump's lawyer in the recount election or the recount litigation that goes on on November 18th. Right. So you have this embedded type of relationship going on. But on November 9th, two days after the media calls, Voss sends a, a, a request to the Legislative Research Bureau, the lawyers there and says, hey, what can we do? What can we as the legislator, legislative body in Wisconsin do to, to, to just what's our power? And he's told, OK, November 16th. Eight days later, Voss gets a second, more uh, amplified uh, memo from the LRB explaining what rights and obligations uh, the legislature has. And basically is told, you can't do anything, legislature. You can't do anything. Once the election has occurred, you set the rules. The rules were played out. It's over. The legislature has no role. Two days later, November 18th, Kenneth Chesbro, who we talked about last week at length, who has been front and center in some of these uh, hearings in Washington, D.C., the lawyer from Boston with what roots in where? Wisconsin. Stephen Spash, Stevens Point <laughs> Area Senior High. He's, he he <laughs> ran cross country in my high school 10 years before I went to high school. You guys were on the first segment. It's crazy. He went to my high school, guys. Yeah, so Chesbro, he, he's, a, he's a fancy lawyer from Massachusetts. He sends a memo to Troopus and says, here's what we need to do with these fraudulent electors. And he does it, and he outlines it by state. And he says, hey, Wisconsin, it's pretty easy to do because all you need is access to the Capitol on, this on this, the, the set date and time, and you're golden. 
But who could give them our- access to the to the state capital? I mean, <laughs> you had COVID restrictions in place. Who would have that kind of power and access to give fraudulent electors access to the inside of the state capital at a particularly constitutionally prescribed date and time? How about so the Senate Majority Leader? Oh, Scott Fitzgerald, the the newly elected congressman <laughs> who was still leading the state Senate. Absolutely. That's right. He did that. Absolutely. Uh, hey, by the way, aiding and abetting. Yeah. I mean, they're all, remember we said last week, for a conspiracy to take place, you need proximity of people and time. This is all working at the same time. There's a scheme in Arizona. There's one in Georgia. The Wisconsin one is the one, Kirk, that we litigated, right? That, uh, as you, you pointed out, Judge Edelman tossed out on procedural grounds. So we're never going to know what the merits of that really look like. But all of this stuff is happening contemporaneous, led by Herr Leader in Washington, D.C., the orange Cheeto, Mr. Trump, right? And, and you got all these connections to Wisconsin, and all of these things are happening in lightning speed. Oh, by the way, one other thing. November 14th, four days before Chesborough sends his memo to Troopas saying, here's what you got to do with the fraudulent electors. Here's the plan for the state of Wisconsin and these other states. Four days before Ron Johnson who, by the way, I don't know if you guys have talked about in the opening segment, but I got in a little trouble yesterday. We'll talk about that in a minute, I'm sure. Uh, Ron Johnson calls his old friend, Mark Becker, our friend, a friend of this show, was on this show, I think about a month ago, and says, I know it's all a bunch of crap, but I'm going to keep saying it anyway. Because it would be political. To his old friend that he's a liar. Be political suicide. Uh, A side point I want to make here, uh, and we made it uh, in the article yesterday over at upnorthnewswi.com. Uh, as we did a deep dive into the whole fake electors thing, I was reminded that, and I don't have the the author's name in front of me, but um, an author for the Atlantic Monthly did an amazing piece at the end of September, okay, six weeks before the election, outlining the many ways that Trump would not concede, and it included mention of fake electors as a possibility. I remember reading at the time and thinking, this is you know, this is crazy, crazy stuff. Reading it again yesterday was downright chilling that, you know, we, it was all right there in, in plain sight. So uh, Kirk's asking, I'm going to go ahead and step on it here where Kirk's, Kirk's asking me, uh, sending a message saying, we haven't really talked about who specifically rounded up these 10 particular people in Wisconsin to be the fake electors. Do we know that? Not as far as I know, although uh, it certainly is uh, becoming more and more evident as pieces of the puzzle come out uh, that uh, that this process was that this was in process for quite some time. And that these people, as Joe said, uh, there's a great deal of knowledge and information exchange in an already existing network of people. Uh, obviously, we're, we're going to find, as I think there are going to be more shoes to drop, as it were, uh, as the hearings go on. When we know who they are, I mean, one of them was interviewed yesterday, Andrew Hitt, who's the head of the Republican Party in Wisconsin. Right. They're all co-conspirators, whether they knew it or not. Right. So who are they? Um, Andrew Hitt, as I said, Robert Spindell, Bill Fian, Kelly Rue, who I mentioned is from the DePere area. Carol Brunner, Scott Gravens, Kathy Kiernan, Daryl Carlson, Pam Travis, Mary Bustrin. Tell us more about these 10 fake electors. What do you know? 
So, so look, you know, party politics are party politics, right? All right. Remember how this works. And we talked about this, I think, in maybe back in March 10th or right after we filed the suit, Kirk, and the first time we were on your show, right? Yeah. The way this works is the people vote, right? But what they're really voting for is a slate of electors. That's what the Constitution lays out, okay? And, and the way it works in party politics is the Democrats get together and they say there's 10 electoral votes in Wisconsin. Here are the 10 people who will be the presidential electors for the Democratic slate. The Republicans did that. There's nothing illegal about that. The people that you just listed, Kristen, are those people, although I think there was one person who, who bagged out, if I recall right. correctly, that, and that said, correct. I'm out. And but, then they- but, but Joe, they, they, they are... Uh, you know, they are the top like Republicans in Wisconsin, yeah. just like our electors, the Democrat ones are the top Democrats in Wisconsin. But, but but they knew they were doing something wrong. Yes. And that's why they're getting sued for like a quarter of a million dollars. And that's what right. we're talking about in the next segment after yep. this. Yep. It was done. It was done. Look, they did it. You know, the, 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 the Biden electors met at the designated date and time in the Madison Capitol. Okay. And it was a public affair and it was, you know, because that's the way the cookie crumbled for this particular election. But the Republican electors, the fraudulent electors, this group that Kristen uh, uh, laid off, uh, basically, uh, they met surreptitiously, didn't call the media. They just basically met in a room so they could swear out these false certifications. But here's the thing. The thing that I find most offensive, and I thought we were doing another drinking. I wouldn't have come tonight if I didn't think we were doing a drinking game. So I don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, I'm going to nominate Bob Spindell. Bob Spindell as the, 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 the namesake for drinking. Bob Spindell is on the Wisconsin Elections Commission. He is a fraudulent elector. He was in the room. He tried to become the chairman, by the way, of the Wisconsin Elections Commission about two weeks ago. This is a guy who, who sat and, and, and there's a lawsuit, which I think, Kirk, you've talked about before, that was brought yep. by uh, SEIU, the union, in uh, yep. the Wisconsin Elections Commission. And he refused to recuse himself over his own conduct involving fraudulent we will, we will talk more about that. But first, uh, we will have an interview about the fake elector scheme with Mel Barnes of Law Forward. And then the guys rejoin us afterwards. We'll be back here up north. Let me die. You know the day destroys the night. Night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the so other side. Welcome back to the cabin. This is the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Banks, set along with Pat Kreitlow and Kristen Lyerly. And we're going to get back to the fake elector situation in Wisconsin and other states like Arizona and Georgia. Because it's become really clear that this was no spontaneous gathering of Trump supporters who just wanted to cover their bases. This was clearly planned out ahead of time. That's what the January 6th hearings are telling us. And some smart Wisconsin attorneys have been in on it from the beginning. We have two of those smart attorneys, Joe's Good and Mark Leitner with us. Uh, but first uh, or next year, I want to bring in Mel Barnes of Law Forward. I spoke with her this afternoon and uh, asked her to remind us how we got here, uh, what's been happening, and really, most importantly, why it's so crucial that we don't let this thing slide or we're going to have fake electors and, frankly, even more potentially, you know, violent attempts at overthrowing the will of the people. So let's uh, listen into my conversation earlier with Mel Barnes. Mel, thanks for joining us this evening. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. 
Can you take us back to when uh, you and the folks at Law Forward uh, first heard about this, said, this doesn't sound right, then made the decision that something needed to be filed or there needed to be some kind of you know hearing or justice or consequences for this? Take us from that very early stage of all of this. Absolutely. So we're now well over a year into this journey where we've been seeking accountability for these 10 folks who gathered in the state capitol and pretended to be the state's duly authorized electors. They pretended to cast our state's electoral college votes for a candidate that lost the election here. And we at Law Forward, we started looking into this. Um, you know, we probably saw some of the same news reports you did. We started looking to it in January of 2021, kind of after some of the dust had settled on the just the mountain of post-election litigation that was already going on. And what we realized is not only did these 10 individuals that we call the fraudulent electors, not only did they meet and convene, even though they had no legal duty or no legal right to do this, they actually sent off fake votes and documents to Congress and other government officials as if they were the real electoral college votes of Wisconsin. And as we've been investigating this. We've uncovered more and more details. Um, One of the fraudulent actors actually put out his own podcast kind of talking about what they did that day um, and, you know, detailing kind of their mood and what they were thinking. And we knew you know, right from the jump that we needed to make sure this didn't happen again in Wisconsin, because right, we're a swing state, we're going to continue to have these close elections. And we just can't have a situation where every time the losing side, you know, is mad that they didn't win, they then try to substitute their own political preference for the will of Wisconsin voters. That's not how our democracy is supposed to work, right? Voters get to decide in Wisconsin and in America. So we knew we needed accountability. And we started with filing a complaint on behalf of our clients, the SEIU, to the Wisconsin Elections Commission that oversees a, a couple of the laws that we thought these folks had violated. We also reached out to law enforcement, to the uh, um, to attorneys uh, across the state. So um, we started with the um, with the attorney in Milwaukee um, thinking, hey, this is something that should be looked into, potentially prosecuted. That's you know a DA's job, right? We don't have a for- authority to enforce criminal laws. Um, also notifying the Wisconsin Department of Justice because this is something that happened. You know these people were from around the state, um, as well as the Dane County District Attorney because these individuals met in Madison, and we've been pushing for accountability with all these folks kind of since then. But what we realized in, um, you know, a, a couple of months ago this year is that we really needed to make sure that this didn't happen again. And that one of the tools that we could use to do that was to bring a civil lawsuit. So in May, we filed a civil suit against these 10 fraudulent electors, as well as two of the lawyers who assisted them in the planning and execution of this on behalf of two of the legitimate electors from Wisconsin, as well as a voter, because we know that the legitimate electors weren't the only ones harmed here, right? We were all harmed as Wisconsin voters when these fraudulent electors tried to override our will at the ballot box. 
There in your description uh, is something that is especially noteworthy. This is new ground in in many ways. It it is so undemocratic with a small d to try to uh, essentially overturn an election in the way that they did, even if it wasn't completely apparent at the time just how deep a plot this was. But like I said, it's 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 new stuff. So you went to the Milwaukee County District Attorney, the Dane County District Attorney. You also went to the Wisconsin Elections Commission, as well as the State Department of Justice, the State Attorney General. And in the case of the you know the State Elections Commission, even though it's made up of three Republicans and three Democrats, uh, including one of the fake electors, one of the Republican members, the decision was made you know not to uh, again to, to penalize or to have consequences in this instance because it didn't appear to the state elections commission that any you know state laws that they oversee had been broken but it leads me to this My, what i've been saying since the january 6th committee started meeting and really peeling back this onion is we we and the elections commission and a lot of other people took these fake electors in wisconsin at their word when they said this is a just in case situation when it's not just in case it's that Trump was actually making the case to have these other elector slates submitted to D.C. Um, so it's 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 not a just in case thing. Does that mean that the Elections Commission, the Department of Justice, the two district attorneys? Uh, I don't I don't want to say wrong, but I mean, they just did not appreciate the depths of how organized this was, it appears. So I think that that's a huge part of it. We're learning so much more um, as the January 6th committee hearings unfold, as other investigations here in Wisconsin around the country um, really do take a harder look at this. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the Wisconsin Elections Commission, we do think that we got it, that they got it wrong. And part of the reason is because the fraudulent elector uh, Rob Spind Robert Spindell, who is on the Wisconsin Elections Commission, participated in voting on this. And no one can be a fair judge and jury of a complaint against them, right? So we're back in court trying to address that there. As for these other investigations, you know, whether it's DAs or AGs or, or federal investigations, I do think that many of these um, many of these investigations are likely ongoing. And I understand that, you know, DOJ isn't going to come out and tell us what they're doing, what they're up to as they develop a case, right? Um, but I think if we just look at everything that came out at the January 6th committee hearings, even, even just the hearing yesterday, there was new information there, right, that we didn't know previously. So I think there's still a lot to do in putting together this case. And we expect to learn more as our lawsuit advances, right, as we're allowed to take discovery and move through the legal process. Um, but what we know right now is there really is a there there. This was not 10 random individuals who just, you know, decided, hey, we're going to cast fake votes for a candidate that lost. These were people who are involved in government, are involved in politics in our state. And, you know, we saw legal memos laying out their plan. And what we heard yesterday is there was a plan on the other end to count these votes, even though that was against the will of voters in Wisconsin. And that's something we can't lose sight of. I was struck by how much you know, we are learning from the January 6th committee in this way. I figured, you know, yes, there's this congressional committee, but it may be more for show. It may be trailing and the, the U.S. Department of Justice may be leading. It became a, a, 
clear to me pretty early on, it was actually the congressional committee that was leading. I mean, as far as we know, because again, the U.S. Department of Justice is being extremely tight-lipped about this, but the fact that they have not brought anything forward, uh, you know, and, and they've actually requested transcripts from the committee tells me it is the congressional committee that seems to be leading this, seems to be finding new things before the folks at DOJ. I, it's probably six of one, half dozen of the other, but I, I'm curious as somebody who, who studies this, is that your observation and was it your expectation? You know, it's hard to say because this really is something that we've never seen before for all the parallels that folks want to draw to, you know, Watergate or other things. This is really just mind-boggling. I don't think we've ever seen an attack like this on our democracy before. And I'm really glad that the January 6th committee is out there, um, you know, whether they're leading, whether they're finding the same information as other investigators, they're piecing it together and they're doing it publicly, which is really important because the American people deserve to know. They deserve to know about this criminal conspiracy to overturn their votes and undermine our democracy. So to me, that's the really important part is that we have this public vehicle for accountability and this public uh, public vehicle for just learning the truth. Um, because like I said, Americans deserve to know. Yeah. And that's where I want to uh, wrap this up is with the question of accountability uh, and, and trying to think of you know, folks on who are more on the Republican side of the aisle saying, you know, look, you 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 miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. They took a shot just in case the courts overthrew it. What do you want for accountability? You want to you want to take these 10 electors and put them behind bars? I mean, we know about it. It'll never happen again. Let it go. Um, or, or, of course, you got people saying, no, a slap on the wrist is not going to get it done. So from law forward's perspective, what exactly is the best measure of accountability? Um, what's the best case scenario for the case that you're bringing? The best case scenario is a very clear determination by the court that this violated the law, violated our state law here in Wisconsin, and that it can never happen again. When it comes to you dealing with these 10 individuals, you know, I think it is important that there is accountability through consequences, whether that's in a civil manner, like in our lawsuit um, or a criminal investigation. But we need to make sure that the next presidential election, when that comes around, anyone who's asked to participate in this, because we know that these folks were asked to participate in this, says, no way. I'm not doing that. I know that it breaks the law. I know that it will disrupt my life if I try to participate in a scheme to overthrow the will of the people. So that accountability, whatever form it takes, is, is what we're after in Law Forward's lawsuit. And you know that deterrence, making sure it never happens again, I think that's what the January 6th hearings are about too. I don't think that this is backward looking. I don't think that this is rehashing the 2020 election, um, which, you know, we all might be a little sick of talking about. I think it's about our future and the future of our democracy and making sure that our government continues to function and express the will of voters. Mel, any, any topics or areas about this that I didn't get to with my questions that you want to make sure we covered? You know, I think that it's really important that while the January 6th hearings, the DOJ investigation are a lawsuit, some of these might be a long road, right? The legal system isn't known for moving super quickly. Just uh, as we as we round out that clip, I just wanted to, before we go to commercial, I wanted to ask one question of Mark and uh, Joe. I don't know how much time we have left, um, but guys, 
why didn't Josh Call, our attorney general, or the, uh, the DA in Milwaukee or the DA in Dane County, why didn't they take this up? Do you have any do you have any thoughts? Because it seems like that's one of the things that's missing in this. Like, why didn't they take this up? And why is Law Forward having to sue for civil damages of like lots of money to make sure these people don't do this anymore? I, I well, wish I had a good explanation for it. I can't think of anything that would justify it because as they have identified the laws, criminal laws that were broken, false swearing, perjury, um, you know, the, that kind of and, and, it's absolutely certain that these people knew they did not have a right. They didn't have any reservations in the documents they signed. They were false documents expressly intended to be used to try to interfere with or overturn a federal election result, you know, and, and sometimes you got to do the right thing uh, regardless of any fear you may have. In fact, that's, uh, that's what courage is, is be is having fear and proceeding anyway. And uh, uh, to the extent that, uh, you know, that our, uh, our, our law enforcement uh, arms in the AG's office and in the, uh, the DA's offices did not do that, I, uh, I, I don't, I, I condemn that. I mean, they, they should have, they should have, uh, they should have gone ahead with prosecution. I, I think that, I mean, right, we don't know, right? I mean, Mel pointed this out in her interview with Pat. We don't know <clears throat> what's going on behind closed doors. We, we probably know Merrick Garland's been on this, you know, for the last year and a half, dealing with what he's been dealing with. And he is a guy who's notorious, frankly, for not showing his cards. Why didn't Kyle do something? Mm, you know, it sounds like politics to me. Okay. It's a guy who's got to get elected yeah. by a state. And, and I think this is one of the problems in Mark's point about courage. Um, you know, when Nixon, when, when the Supreme Court decided that the tapes had to be produced, Goldwater went to the White House the next day with a bunch of Republican senators. And Nixon was like, ah, oh, this is a bunch of garbage, blah, blah, blah. You know, certainly, you know, I'm not going to get convicted in the Senate, even if the House impeaches me. And he, how many votes do I got, Barry? And he said, eh, eight or nine. And Mr. President, I'm not one of them. Barry Goldwater. Mr. Okay. Republican, the the 1964 candidate of the party. But guys, guys you're, you're missing. No, you're. I think we're all missing the point here. And I know we want to get back to the Elections Commission and Josh Call and everything. Yeah. Something very important happened after the last meeting. And that was that the Justice Department said, we'd like the transcripts. Because again, yeah. as I said in the interview, they're leading. They're the ones who are actually finding these nuggets. Nobody went to Nixon and said it's time until they had the tapes. Right. Josh Call couldn't do anything until he has the data. It's There's nothing that says Call or anybody else can't take what we're learning now and say, now that I have that information. They didn't have that investigatory power before. but Especially the now. They do now. And so this is far from done, which is what Mel was going to say before we got cut off is this takes a while, but justice does come through. We're going to take a break. We'll wrap up next year up north.
we have to do the dance party version of this show sometime, just so y'all can like Kirk for an hour, get uh, get jammed out to the bumper music. Um, as always, thanks to our, our radio hosts, uh, you know, Devil Radio 92.7, the Shaw, use the Devil Radio app. You can find us, uh, the video version at upnorthpodcast.com. Uh, video version is also up on Kirk's Monaco Brewing Company Facebook page and on YouTube. And find my daily work as mentioned earlier at upnorthnewswi.com. Sign up for our daily newsletter. Check us out on social media. Kristen, I'll, I'll go to you first. And then we'll have Kirk wrap things up with the guys here. Um, but any any impressions that uh, other impressions that you walked away from hearing uh, what Mel had to say about, you know, trying to make these cases and that sometimes they take time. I really appreciate her perspective. And I really, as we were just talking on the break, I really appreciate that there's so much that still can be done. And one of the most important things that is coming out of these hearings is the visibility. I mean, I'm literally like, I joke around about like having checks mix and watching this like a movie. But the truth is, I will sit down and watch this for entertainment not because it's necessarily entertaining, but because it's so necessary and it's compelling and it's fascinating. So if out of all of this, we don't have Josh Call, we don't have somebody else in the state of Wisconsin latching on to some of the information that Mel mentioned and following through with it, now that we're all aware, I would be shocked if the public pressure wasn't enough to make some of these things happen in the future. What do you guys think? So I'm a cynic. <laughs> Okay, I just am. I think that uh, in our world today, uh, the kind of political courage we were talking about before the break does not exist. Um, I do think it's an interesting fact that uh, the DOJ is now saying, give us the transcripts, right? You've kind of seen this little bit of conflict between the committee and, and DOJ. I think DOJ or uh, the committee and the House have done an amazing job. They're, they're nothing short of stupendous in laying out the facts as they know them and understand them. They've been relentless and it's been really, really persuasive. Maybe, uh, Kristen, there's a little bit of uh, idealistic courage that comes from that. And, and people like Josh Kyle actually go out and do what they need to do. I completely agree with Mel Barnes. If, if, if there is not some type of accountability, that's what our lawsuit was about on behalf of the 10 plaintiffs. That's what their lawsuit's about. If there is not some kind of accountability, whether it's criminal, civil, or both or whatever, this will happen again and mm-hmm. again and again. And that's a big mm-hmm. problem for our state. The, the, okay. uh, there's, there's a passage in Ernest Hemingway's novel, The Sun Also Rises, where somebody asked one of the characters, how did you go bankrupt? And he responds two ways, gradually and then suddenly. <laughs> and that's the way that this is going to fall apart. Because there's not going to be in, uh, you know, right away, there's not going to be a big major cataclysmic thing. There's going to be a, a slippage here and there where some local board or some governor refuses to certify an election or ignores the vote. Uh, and people are going to get upset about it. Uh, but then there's going to be a cascade. And then once that turns, then we don't have America anymore. Then we don't. Well, I appreciate that, that, that optimism, that that shiny moment there, Mark. Thank you so much. I'm going to go <laughs> take my flight down now. Damn breaks. We um, are in big trouble. So we gotta <laughs> we gotta put our fingers in every so, hole. So, Mark, Mark, I disagree. I think that uh, enough people will be listening to these hearings. We're, 
random brewing companies and random OBGYNs <laughs> from Wisconsin are getting on the getting on Zoom and trying to get the word out. This is this has elicited so many people who just don't or just can't handle the cheating. I, I disagree. I think that the House of Cards, like we played Radiohead, House of Cards will fall because there's enough people will realize these are lies and, and I we are gonna are right. we're gonna come Man, out of this stronger. We're gonna come out right. of this stronger. I, I, I Ruth Leitner wrong. I think that sounds like a good motto for tonight's show. I, I would be Leitner I would wrong. Be so happy to be wrong. So we I had a lot of fun at elated. so we had a little fun at Ron Johnson's expense for potentially being an, an actual mule for fraudulent ballots. We're going to shift the focus to Derek Van Orden next week as we talk about the, the violence in DC and an and actual made, insurrectionist. Yes. Uh, so we'll we'll have uh, other things that Kirk is brewing. He doesn't just brew beer, folks. He brews content for you. Brews hope. He's brewing hope tonight. Brews hope. I like that. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, Joe. Mark, Mel Bounds, uh, Martins, thank you for joining us at the cabin. We'll see you here next week. Washington.